Accord. Accord. All right, y'all. We got a Professor Black Truth. Said, uh, talking about that uh, Mexican uh, Nazi shot up that Texas mall. 17 minutes. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. People are shocked to find out that the neo-Nazi who just carried out a mass murder in Texas was Latino, not some light, bright, almost white Shakira type, but a brown-skinned mestizo. And he'd been online posting pictures of himself with Nazi tattoos. He would frequently make racist posts referencing the white supremacist sewer 4chan and other Latino white supremacists like Nick Fuentes. This guy posted his videos freely on YouTube, and you'll notice that YouTube didn't do anything about this guy until after he committed a mass murder. Meanwhile, they attacked the black media. Channels like this are constantly having their videos struck or having their accounts terminated. People who don't advocate hate or violence, but their accounts get attacked simply because they point out that we're being mistreated and who's doing it. YouTube has been a willing haven and breeding ground for these white supremacist killers to spread their violence. But so is the white media. And they're shocked, shocked, I tell you. They simply can't comprehend that a brown-skinned Latino would align himself with white supremacists, the very people who say that people like him need to be kept out. You have white media figures on CNN, MSNBC, all the major channels, and including the agenda-setting white media like the New York Times and the Washington Post, etc. They're all on the same talking point, saying that to have a Latino as a neo-Nazi is something that's unprecedented. This has never happened before. But is that true? Now, obviously, Mauricio Garcia doesn't represent the entire Latino community, obviously. But it's false to say that he was just some one-of-a-kind anomaly. He's not. And there's plenty of precedent for this. The Black community has been saying that this has been an issue for decades now, but we were ignored by the very white media who today is speechless. In a nutshell, there's cognitive dissonance going on here on a major level. Many Latinos, not all, but enough, see themselves primarily in terms of their national origin, Mexican, Guatemalan, Honduran, etc. So when people talk about building walls and mass deportations, for a lot of Latinos, they look and say, well, they're not talking about us, they're talking about those Latinos over there. The U.S. classifies them as minorities or people of color. But as the New York Times had to report, Latinos choose to identify as white. But how do you do that in a society that says you're not white? As many as are able identify themselves as white on school applications, employment applications, and driver's licenses. This is something the white media has completely refused to even discuss. But all they did was to allow the problem to grow until now something has happened that can't be ignored. As we, the black media, have reported to you for years now, for the longest time, the leaders of some of the most virulently white supremacist groups have been Latinos. For example, Stuart Rhodes, founder and leader of the Oath Keepers, his mother is a mestizo Mexican. Enrique Tarrio, leader of the Proud Boys, who was so eager to prove that he was a white supremacist, he targeted a historically black church in D.C., tearing down their Black Lives Matter banner right outside the church, and then burned it and took photos of himself because he wanted everyone to see this is how much contempt he had for black people. That was an act of domestic terrorism that he committed, but the white authorities decided that it would just be sloughed off as destruction of property. And of course, you can't forget about Nick Fuentes, one of the most outspoken and obnoxious online racist and anti-Semites out there. These guys make it a point to go to insane, cartoonishly stupid lengths to prove their devotion to white supremacy, doing things that the white racists themselves don't do. 
It would be funny if it wasn't for the fact that they're hurting people and in some cases getting people killed. The white media is shocked that this Latino neo-Nazi was a regular visitor to 4chan. But if you follow the black media, then you already know I've regularly reminded you about the 4chan terrorists who attacked a Black Lives Matter rally in Minneapolis. One of the terrorists who planned the attack was a Latino. In fact, he's the one you see holding the gun. His name is Julio Suarez. On 4chan, he went by the screen name Saiga Marine. Suarez was the one who ended that terrorist threat video by saying, stay white. Earlier this year, you had Solomon Pena, the New Mexico terrorist and felon who went around shooting up the homes and offices of five Democratic Party politicians. He espoused all kinds of far-right rhetoric, and he was a contributor to LaRouche Pack, founded by the notorious anti-Black racist Lyndon LaRouche. But the problem isn't just limited to Latino racists on the right. Another example is Alexandria Cortez. When she was first running for Congress, she gave a now infamous interview on MSNBC where she boldly renounced any and all other ancestry she had, particularly black. She wanted to make sure she got that out first. She renounced everything except for her white ancestry. My identity is the descendant of many different identities. Uh, I am the descendant of African slaves. I am a descendant of indigenous peoples. I'm a descendant of Spanish colonizers. I am a descendant of all sorts of folks. Um, that doesn't mean I'm black. That doesn't mean I'm, you know, native. But it does mean that I can use that as I can tell the story Who's her dad? of my ancestors. That doesn't mean that I am that. Them teeth. She talks yeah. out of both sides of her mouth. In the same way, she, she has African ancestry and then says that doesn't make her black. Beaver she says she's a descendant of Spanish colonizers, but you notice she didn't dare say, but that doesn't make me Spanish. She renounced her African and Indian ancestry, so why not the Spanish part too? After all, she's a mix of things as she said. A mutt. Except she wasn't about to renounce the Spanish ancestry. She considers herself to be a white woman. Nobody else does, but she would still like to be seen as that. This is the problem of so-called intersectionalism. When these individuals talk about their ethnicity, they deny being black immediately, even though that black ancestry is the very first thing people notice when they look at them. But none of them decides, well, when it comes to white, I gotta go ahead and say I ain't white either. Instead, they say, well, I'm all of those things. But when you ask them for specifics, they immediately say, but I'm not black. Don't say I'm black. And more recently, the racist Latino L.A. council members who were calling a black toddler a monkey and planning how they were going to lock black Angelinos out of any and all arenas of the city, they were happily sitting in a room planning with each other how they were going to be running the city along racial lines specifically for the express purpose of locking black people out. Especially that Mary Martinez witch. She made it very clear black people are her enemy, not because black people did anything to her, but just because black people are black. But they didn't stop there, of course. They also disparaged other Latinos, particularly the Ozakas, because their skin is darker than the racist Latinos who were on the LA City Council. So the leaders of the most important Hispanic enclave in the United States were acting and talking like every other white supremacist you've ever seen. And these weren't Republicans or white wingers doing this. These were Latinos on the left. Anti-black racism is a bipartisan issue. And this isn't new at all. You go all the way back to Felix Tijerina, who was the president of LULAC, the League of United Latin American Citizens. At the height of Jim Crow, somebody proposed that LULAC ally itself with the NAACP. Tijerina's response? 
Let the Negro fight his own battles. His problems are not mine. I don't want to ally with him. Now, whenever Latinos are trying to get something, or whenever some white supremacist harms one of them, the very first thing we hear is, we're all in this together, Black-Brown Alliance. That's and bullshit. then black people wonder why the Black-Brown Alliance never seems to materialize. And in the cases of Tario, Rhodes, Suarez, the LA City Council members, Tiarina, and even Alexandria Cortez, they all identify themselves as white, even though the society doesn't. These are just a few examples from the last few years alone. The only legitimate confusion comes in that many Latinos claim to simultaneously be a minority when it suits them and then mark themselves as white on all their documentation. So we have individuals who identify simultaneously as minority and white. That's the issue. Okay, but how does this link to Latin America? To understand this problem, we need to take a look at Latin America specifically and its brutally racist past and how they still celebrate to the present. Take Brazil, for example. There's a town down there called Santa Barbara do Oeste. For the last 40 years, they've had an annual festival in which they bring out Confederate flags and dress up in Civil War attire and cosplay as being Confederates for a day. And why do they engage in this bizarre ritual? Because following their defeat in the Civil War, thousands of Confederates went to Brazil, even forcing hundreds of Black people that they had enslaved to be their prisoners there until 1888 when Brazil finally got around to abolishing slavery. And these Brazilian Confederates celebrate that every single year. On a side note, next time some white supremacist tries to tell you that the Confederacy was about stage rights, it wasn't about no slavery, you remind them of this. Thousands of unreconstructed Confederates went to South America. And when they got there, what's the first thing that they did? All right, let's get this slavery thing going again. Yeah, it was all about slavery in any country they went to. And Latin America's longstanding tradition of colorism and racial segregation made it a magnet for white supremacists all over the world. There's a reason that the Nazis fled to Latin America after World War II. And it wasn't just Argentina they went to. They went to places like Peru, Chile, and others because of the blatantly white supremacist regimes that have run things down there and are still in charge today. You look at the political changes that have happened in Latin America in the last 20 years, and they've been all about race. In Venezuela, you had Hugo Chavez, who fought to break the stranglehold of the Blanco ruling class in that country. Venezuela's Blanco elites have been impoverishing their own citizens for centuries. And when Chavez came along, they made it clear they understood him to be a black man. Chavez himself confirmed as much. The Blanco elites in Latin America have frozen their nations in time. Well, at least in Venezuela, the ice began to thaw when Hugo Chavez was elected. The United States, seeing that their white supremacist stronghold down there had fallen, funded and organized a coup to oust Chavez. And don't let the white media water down the facts. The CIA didn't just know about the Venezuelan coup, they were the ones behind it. And the Venezuela coup plotter's very first act upon seizing control of the government was to announce that they were abolishing the Venezuelan Congress the Venezuelan Supreme Court, and they even abolished its constitution. They were getting rid of every branch of government that could have opposed them, and even the nation's laws. That meant that the coup had established that the only government in Venezuela was the presidency which they had control of. That was an autocratic government that seized control of a democratic nation. Though you wouldn't have known it by how the U.S. reacted, here was an undeniable case of an autocratic regime taking over a country and the U.S. was fine with it, 
But what the U.S. didn't like was that Chavez's support from the Venezuelan people was so overwhelming that the military, who were loyal to him since he had been a soldier too, they went and rescued him from the island where he had been imprisoned, and they restored him to office. And as for the Blanco coup plotters, now they were the ones forced into exile. And where did they go? Straight to the United States, who had nothing to do with the coup, mind you. Then Hugo Chavez died under mysterious circumstances. He suddenly got a case of cancer. By the way, I don't believe that. I think the U.S. pulled a Vladimir Putin and used some sort of radioactive poison to kill him, but still. The Chavista revolution wasn't so easily defeated. Nicolas Maduro was Chavez's hand-picked successor, and the U.S. has been trying to overthrow him ever since, using the old playbook of calling him an undemocratic regime, etc. But Maduro is still there, and so long as he's in office, the Blanco ruling class cannot come back to power. And the same thing happened in Bolivia. Evo Morales was an indigenous labor leader who clearly isn't white, but he beat the Blanco candidate to become president of Bolivia multiple times. And then he became the target of a coup as well, which clearly the U.S. was not behind, because the U.S. couldn't wait to recognize the Blanco woman who was installed to usurp him. Janine Anez is a dyed-in-the-wool obnoxious racist, basically a female version of Brazil's Jair Bolsonaro. Speaking of Bolsonaro, he played on Latin America's obsession with race to gain power, but it was only because of former President Lula da Silva's massive popularity that Bolsonaro was eventually voted out. Race is at the center of it all. White supremacists hate that black people point this out because they know it's the truth. When we point out anti-black racism outside the U.S., the racists immediately start howling, you can't apply American racial dynamics to other countries. Actually, we can. From celebrating the Confederacy to attacking political candidates simply for being black, it's exactly the same. Not because we said so, but because the anti-black racists in these foreign countries said so. So we cannot separate the deeply ingrained and flagrant anti-black racism of Latin America from the behavior of an Enrique Tarrio or a Mauricio Garcia. It is not some victimless crime to play footsie with white supremacy, though in the case of Enrique Tarrio and others, they've gone from flirting to consummating the relationship outright. Why is it that so many people from groups who are not white and certainly not Aryan go overboard to commit acts of violence in the name of white supremacy? because they're auditioning for a position as members of the oppressor class. When you see these non-white white supremacists doing mass killings, that's them sending a message saying, you who over here, I'm one of you, see? And why mass violence in particular? Why is that always the go-to method that these white supremacists use to try to prove their white supremacist bona fides? It's because for hundreds of years, this country has always made it clear that when these newcomers or these other groups who are non-Anglo or non-Caucasian or what have you, if they want to be accepted, then they have to show that they're on board with the racial hierarchy and helping to maintain it through violence. That's why I gave you the definition of white supremacy the other day. The absolute control of society using physical, economic, political, and social violence. And that's the pattern that's played itself out for at least the last 150 years. The Irish came to this country and had signs that said no dogs are Irish allowed. But as soon as the draft riots occurred and they started beating black people in the streets, those signs started coming down. Italian immigrants came to the U.S. and were called all manner of racial slurs. But when they wanted acceptance from the dominant society, they began attacking black people and all of a sudden they got honorary white status. 
And the same pattern continued with immigrants from Asian countries, as we've seen with Dinesh D'Souza, Amy Chua, Michelle Malcolm, and others. And that also includes the immigrants who have come from south of the border. Black people have pointed this out for decades. After the L.A. City Council race scandal broke, people couldn't ignore it anymore, but they didn't do anything to fix it either. There were some people who were holding hands, and we immediately saw declarations that the racial divide had been healed. But nobody is fooled. This is sweeping the problem under the rug again, and it won't work. And now that the problem has manifested itself in a way so grotesque that it simply can't be wallpapered over this time, does anyone think that the white media who's ignored this issue until now will suddenly start to look at the big picture and say maybe we need to talk about it? Will they look at the Enrique Tarrios, the Stuart Rhodes, the Nick Fuentes, the Mauricio Garcias, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes, and ask why so many Latinos want to be white supremacists themselves? Or will the white media try to wait this one out and see if it goes away with the next news cycle or the next mass shoot? My money is on the latter. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Aisha Sarpong, Toshan Quadruple Seven, Sherman Marshall, Bobby Ross, and Aghenru Imuasa. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. All right. Good morning, Black family. A's here. Getting on a nice fat blunt. That Professor Black Truth just uploaded some new content. Is there racism in Latin American culture with these damn guala gualas sitting behind the swastika flag? These some stupid ass spicks because don't they know they would have been gassed too? Well, you know the saying you can't fix stupid. Hope you enjoy it. I'm sure I will. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. Yesterday's briefing brought out a lot of opinions and more than a few denials. There were more than a few people who came and left comments vehemently disagreeing that Latin American culture does have a dominant element of anti-black racism within it. There were a large number who left comments on yesterday's video saying that there are no Latino neo-Nazis, and there's certainly not a culture of anti-black racism in Latin America or in Latino culture, and more than a few who demanded that I prove it. Well, you can call me the cashier because I got the receipts. We can start with Zvarte Pete. For those of you who don't know, Zvarte Pete is a racist <coughs> tradition that's maintained by the Dutch, where they happily have white people who colonize and oppress the South Africans running around in blackface openly. Oh, they just have a good old time with it. But Zvarte Pete is not Dutch in origin. In fact, the Dutch say that Smarte Pete is a Moor from Spain. And the entire point is that he was a helper to Santa Claus, who English speakers call Santa Claus. So right there, you got a racist tradition that originated in Spain. And that's not all that originated there. This is not the KKK. Well, not the American branch anyway. These are actually Spanish so-called penitents observing what they call Holy Week. 
They claim that these pointy hats that they wear predate the Klan and have nothing to do with the KKK. And of course, the white media trips over its shoelaces to make excuses for this. The white media says that, well, the Klan's costumes are pure white, but the costumes that these Spanish penitents wear come in many colors. So see, there's no Spanish connection. Well, I hate to break it to the white media, but the KKK also wear robes of different colors, too. Depending on one's rank in that terrorist organization, they wear green robes, yellow robes, <coughs> red ones, purple ones, even black ones. So there's something the KKK has in common with Spanish culture. On a side note, you'll probably see some liars who try to claim that the Klan didn't even have the conical dunce caps that we know them for until after D.W. Griffith's birth of a nation. This is classic white supremacist disinformation. Griffith's Birth of a Nation was made in 1915. This photo of a Klansman is from 1869. Shows a Klansman with a club. And this picture is from 1870. Notice the Klansman shown with weird glue-on facial hair. Maybe this is where the so-called Grand Wizard of the KKK came from. And here's an engraving from 1861 called Plan of the Contemplated Murder of John Campbell. It shows a gang of KKK thugs about to hang a white man for being off code. My point is that there are plenty of examples of the Klan wearing pointy conical hats decades before Birth of a Nation. Oh, and one more thing. In Birth of a Nation, the Klan don't wear conical hats. They actually are shown wearing white hoods with a spiked point on them. Those aren't conical hats like the Klan wear. This was D.W. Griffith's take on it. And why this shape in particular? A hood with a spike protruding out the top of it. I don't know for sure, though I find it interesting that they look like the pickle-hound helmets that the U.S. military briefly adopted from the Prussians at the end of the 19th century. Here you see a picture showing U.S. enlisted soldiers wearing pickle halves, and to the right is an actual one on a U.S. Marine's helmet. Again, for the people who don't pay much close attention, I'm not saying that this is what inspired Griffith's take on the Klan uniforms, but I think we all know the ties between the U.S. military and these white supremacist organizations are absolutely incestuous. It was the KKK themselves who said that they dress up like that because they're supposed to be the ghosts of dead Confederate soldiers. My point is, the talking points of the white media and other agents of disinformation try to use to miseducate the public about the alleged differences between the Klan's costumes and the attire worn by those Spanish Catholics during Holy Week falls flat simply by doing a Google search. But even so, the white media <coughs> says that there's no connection between the two, and hey, if the white media says it, then it must be true. The Spanish also outright deny any connection between the penitent costumes they wear and the Klan's outfits. The Spanish also deny having a culture of blatant anti-black racism. Well, their denials might hold more weight if it wasn't for the fact that Spain was basically where the slave trade originated, to all intents and purposes. And the Spanish practiced some of the most barbaric and horrifying acts of violence against black people in recorded history. It also brought that same psychopathic anti-black racism to its colonies in the Americas. There have been numerous genocides of black people in Latin America. For example, Argentina considers itself to be a European country in Latin America. They don't consider themselves to be at all like the other brown-skinned nations around them. In fact, in Argentina, they have a saying. Mexicans descend from the Aztecs, Peruvians descend from the Incas, but Argentinians descend from the ships. They boast being a bastion of modernity, but for the last two generations at least, their economy has been a revolving door of failure and dysfunction. 
So far, they kept themselves from total collapse by relying entirely on IMF funds. But even the IMF is tired of throwing good money after bad, and so Argentina has descended into yet another severe economic crisis. But that's nothing compared to their historical racial crisis. By the late 1700s, one-third of Argentina's population was black. And yet today, their government says that less than 1% of the population is black. Starting in the 1800s, Argentina began a policy of wholesale genocide against its black population. And that genocide took many forms, and we still see it today. The black population of Argentina was starved <coughs> and marginalized, though not entirely killed off. However, the survivors have been ethnically cleansed from any and all media and representation in the society. That way, at least to white tourists and white media companies who share the Argentinians' anti-black racism, they can all claim that Argentina doesn't have any black people. They also claim that they're not racist either. Well, Argentina does have a black population, and it's a lot larger than just 1%, but you wouldn't know it by looking at the government, the business sector, or even its television and movies. This is what you call cultural genocide, an attempt to erase a people by denying their very existence. See, while the white supremacists claim one lonely little black stormtrooper in a Star Wars movie constitutes white genocide, meanwhile, black people have had to suffer the real thing. There was also another genocide against the black population in the Dominican Republic, under that country's brutal dictator, Rafael Trujillo. He orchestrated a genocidal massacre of black Dominicans in 1937, in which he sent the Dominican military to round up tens of thousands of black Dominicans and kill them outright, and then dump their corpses by the thousands into the appropriately named Massacre River. No trial, no due process, not even a proper burial. And they did it because their victims were black and for no other reason. That was less than 100 years ago. And it didn't happen in the deep South United States, but in Latin America. And Argentina's policy of refusing to admit that they have a black population is what every country down there does, from Mexico to Peru to Colombia to Chile to Bolivia to Guatemala to Cuba to Brazil, you name it. If they couldn't kill the black population down there, then they would try to pretend that they didn't exist anymore. Latinos identify their cultural heritage and oftentimes their ethnicity as Spanish. Alexandria Cortez certainly did that, and that's significant because it gets to the very heart of why so many Latinos are neo-Nazis. During the Second World War, Spain was ruled by the vicious dictator Francisco Franco. He told the Western powers that he was going to be neutral during the war, but that wasn't true. He sent Spanish soldiers to fight for the Nazis, and he even protected over 100 Nazi secret agents operating in Spain during the war. <coughs> the Allies knew who these Nazi secret agents were, and they sent Franco a list of their names. The communication went to Spain's foreign ministry, but Franco refused to hand these Nazis over because Spain was neutral, right? And that request simply sat in the Spanish Foreign Ministry's file cabinet somewhere, and it wasn't found again until 1997. And by the way, these Nazi secret agents weren't some lightweights who just stole a couple of secret documents. These were hardcore Nazi thugs who did things like torturing people, transporting explosives and other war supplies, and worse, like Franz Zacharias, who developed biological weapons for the Nazis. As the Associated Press themselves had to admit, Many Nazis fled Germany to Paraguay, Argentina, and other South American countries. 
Although there is no evidence they fled to nearby Spain, those already in place there helped other Nazis move to Latin America and North America. So yes, Spain was allied with the Nazis. They supported the Nazis, protected the Nazis, and even helped them to escape punishment after the war. The anti-Black racism in Latin America didn't begin with the Second World War, though. But Latin America's love affair with the Nazis did. Many of those Nazis went to South America, and not one of those governments down there did a thing to hand them over. The Israelis had to capture and kidnap the Nazis themselves, like they did with Adolf Eichmann in Argentina, or to kill them outright like they did with Herbert Zerker in Uruguay. But those Latin governments didn't help at all. But you see far more expressions of neo-Nazi sentiment in Latin America than you do in modern-day Spain. So the question is, how many of those Latin American countries were themselves allied with or highly sympathetic to the Nazis during the war? There's many places in Latin America that have neo-Nazi organizations, but the biggest hotbed by far seems to be Mexico. Now, there's no Jews for them to go after in any appreciable numbers, but mostly they espouse the idea that they're Spanish, not mestizo, and that they're fighting against moral decay, whatever that is. That's because they don't have any real ethnic enemies to go after. Last year, El País reported on neo-Nazi concerts that take place in Mexico City. Mexico City is the capital of the country. So you got neo-Nazi concerts that are taking place literally in the seat of government. So that means that either the Mexican government has no idea that there's neo-Nazis in Mexico City doing their little jamborees literally right under that government's nose, or it means that this is happening with the full support and approval of the Mexican government. I'll let you make up your own mind on that one. One of the Mexican neo-Nazis said their goal is to create a young, strong, and morally superior nation, first in Mexico and then in the great homeland that is Ibero-America. Sounds a lot like today Guadalajara, tomorrow the world. Now, obviously, these brown-skinned mestizos are not blonde-haired, blue-eyed, or light-skinned. They're not Aryans or even Europeans. But why are they so in love with swastikas and Nazi flags then? For the same reason you see white supremacists in the North, who neither they nor any of their ancestors have set foot in the South, and yet they fly the Confederate flag. Everyone understands both of those flags to be symbols of aggressive and most importantly, violent white nationalism. Those flags say that the person who flies them is white and will kill whomever. The neo-Nazi stuff simply reinforces the white supremacist culture that was already extant in Latin America. A lot of Latinos often say that they are Spaniards in the Americas. Well, Spanish people in Spain don't say that. They say the Latinos are people of color, and they don't want to be associated with that. The white media is reported on this, but it's something that doesn't get reported on often. You have the Spanish who will do anything to prove that they are white, and you have the <coughs> Latinos who will do anything to prove that they're Spanish. That's the dynamic at work here. And we see it here in the U.S. A good example, or rather a bad one, was Ricardo Lopez. He was a Latino born in Uruguay, and he was obsessed with the Icelandic singer Bjork. Well, actually, his fixation with her went way beyond mere obsession. He convinced himself that she was in love with him, but that she didn't respond to his love letters because she was just playing hard to get. But then things took a turn for the worse when Lopez found out that Bjork was in a relationship with a black singer-slash-rapper-slash-DJ named Goldie. And that one revelation sent this already unstable loon spiraling over the edge of warp speed. 
Lopez made a series of extremely bizarre videos, often using racial slurs to describe how much he hated Goldie. He then constructed a letter bomb that was supposed to spray acid when it opens, and he sent it to Bjork. Fortunately, it never reached her, and the authorities were able to foil that plan. And also by that time, Lopez had committed suicide. But simply the fact that the woman he was obsessing over was with a black man made him snap. Reminds you of the Eurasian mass shooter Elliot Rogers, doesn't it? Another example of a violent Latino white supremacist that I could give you is the mass shooter Nicholas Cruz. Cruz was the Parkland shooter responsible for murdering 17 people, mostly children, at a Florida high school. He posted numerous private Instagram hate messages online. Among them, he said he hated niggers. He said he wanted to keep black people in chains and cut their necks. He said he hated black people simply because they're black. And yes, he did talk about killing Mexicans, but keep in mind that Cruz didn't consider them to be white. One more thing. Nicholas Cruz wasn't born with that name. He was actually born to a Jewish mother and later adopted by a Latino couple. But what I consider to be really interesting is that Cruz's birth mother also had another son, this time by a different father. And the Latino couple who adopted Nicholas Cruz also adopted that child as well so the two siblings could grow up together. Nicholas's half-brother is named Zachary. As you can see, he and Nicholas definitely had different fathers, all right. Now, Nicholas Cruz grew up with a half-black sibling. They were both together from birth, and yet by the time Nicholas was a teen, he was saying he hated niggers and wanted to kill black people simply for being black. My point is that black people seem to be some sort of animating principle for these Latino neo-Nazis. They grow up in countries where they don't have any significant contact with black people, and yet hating black people is core to the identity because it's transmitted through the culture. And many of them bring those same racially hostile attitudes to the U.S. with them. And there's no reason for that. As black Americans, we opened all the doors for them. We made it possible for them to enter the country freely. And we made it possible for them to have the rights of citizens from day one. They didn't have to fight any of those battles. They were already set up before they got here. We were the ones who fought the wars. We made the opportunities that they enjoy. Jennifer Lopez would have been just another light-skinned Latina if the Williams brothers hadn't plucked her from obscurity and put her on in living color. And Puff Daddy really put her on when he showed the world her double-sided tape dress, and that one move made her a star. Rosie Perez is another example that I can think of off the top of my head. She's been spending the last few years talking grimy about some of the black folks in Hollywood who actually helped her out. Another Latino who black people opened doors for was Tanak Huerta, who you probably saw in Black Panther 2. It was the black director, Ryan Coogler, who chose to cast him as Namor. This guy couldn't get any work in Mexico because he's not white, he's indigenous. But it was black people in the United States who put him on. And back in Mexico, his own Latino folk are hating on him. Now, the role of Namor is hardly a household name. I don't think anyone who doesn't read comic books even knows who the Aquaman knockoff is. This is not some comic book character who is precious to Latinos or anything. They don't know who he is. So why were so many of them angry at Tanakh Huerta for being cast in this role? Shouldn't Hispanics in Mexico just have been glad that one of theirs was being featured in a big-budget American blockbuster movie? After all, Latinos don't practice racism, except that's exactly what happened here.
The fury by Latinos directed against Huerta was based on one thing and one thing only. He's a brown-skinned man who is being given the spotlight. That was the entire problem. Mexicans don't know who Namor is, and they're not the target audience for Black Panther anyway, so why were they so furious about what was basically for them a nothing burger? Because in Latin America, as we've seen in Argentina, the Dominican Republic and elsewhere, like in Mexico, they have spent so long censoring images of non-Blancos from their media that they've convinced themselves non-Blancos don't exist, and they're determined to keep it that way. They made a bubble for themselves, and Black Americans burst that bubble. They're scared that the lie that they've constructed is going to fall. They've seen their own color line be crossed, and they couldn't do anything about it. And they don't want that to become a habit for you. If people like Huerta are able to get a foothold in the largest media market on earth, then that will create images of darker skinned Latinos that Mexico's Blanco media gatekeepers won't be able to censor. They will be forced to see a world where they aren't the end all and be all, and they are terrified and furious at that prospect. But I don't think that all those people hating on Huerta back in Mexico have much to worry about. Frankly, I haven't seen much in the way of gratitude from this guy or any of the other Hispanic actors who Ryan Coogler put in the movie. Mr. Huerta and the others seem to think that they did it all by themselves. And that's just not true. So I don't want anyone thinking that Huerta is going to become some sort of ally because he won't. He's going to do like Sammy Sosa and a number of others. He considers himself to be different than and hence better than the very black filmmakers who plucked him from obscurity and gave him a chance at having a real career in the first place. Before it's all over, I predict that he's going to be back in Mexico breaking his neck to win the acceptance of the very racists who have been attacking him. Now, there's plenty of other examples that I could give to you, but this video is long enough already. And I know that pointing out all these truths is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Isn't that interesting? They're not upset about all this anti-black racism coming from Latin America. What they're upset about is a black man pointing it out. And that is the problem. You can't deny white supremacy away. You can't wish it out of existence. And you can't muzzle people simply for pointing out that this has been a long-standing problem going back hundreds of years. It didn't just start after World War II. Latin American culture is fundamentally racist, not because I say so, but because Trujillo and Franco and the Argentinians and the Mexicans said so. And this has created a culture where when Latin immigrants come to the U.S., they go out of their way to show contempt for black citizens, not because we did anything, but simply because. People can be mad at me for reminding them of all this history and current events, but who they need to be mad at are the political leaders in Latin America who have perpetuated this anti-black racism and also at the Latino immigrants who come north and choose to continue it. We as the black media have reported constantly on how Latinos have not been joining the Democratic Party, even though the Democratic Party leadership has been bringing over backwards to try to attract them. Instead, Latinos have been increasingly breaking for the Republicans. And this after Donald Trump called Mexicans rapists, drug dealers, and all the rest. And yet a sizable portion of Latinos voted for him in 2016. And more voted for him in 2020. Why? Because when he says all that racist stuff about Mexicans, you have a lot of Latinos who remember the white supremacist messages from their own leaders back in Latin America. And even though they could never be part of the Blanco ruling class in their home countries, now they're thinking that perhaps in the United States, it's a land of opportunity to finally be white. But white supremacy isn't proven through words. 
is proven through actions, violent actions. This is the unspoken but well-understood threat that goes along with expressions of so-called white pride. When somebody shows a Confederate flag, that's not an expression of Southern pride. It's an open threat of violence. And the same thing goes for the swastika. It doesn't matter if it's the Dixiecrats in Tennessee or Confederate aficionados in Brazil. It doesn't matter if it's white supremacists giving Nazi salutes in Charlottesville or Latinos doing the same in Mexico City. It all comes from the same source because it's all done for the same reason. A lot of Latinos practice anti-black racism, not just in the countries they came from, but when they come to the US. The issue has been confused by a white media that tries to tell society that Latinos are people of color. But Latinos have never accepted that definition. And that's the reality that isn't being talked about. This is how a brown-skinned mestizo can wind up getting Nazi tattoos and carrying out a mass murder in the name of white power. The neo-Nazi phenomenon that's emerged from Latin culture isn't new at all, but it's the historically racist roots of Latin culture that's the real problem that has to be discussed and dealt with. Myths about colorblind Latino societies in South America and white media distortions about people of color in North America is what brought about the racial discord that we've seen from the LA City Council to AOC to countless others. And it's also what set the stage for this recent tragedy. If this issue is left unaddressed, it only guarantees that it's going to happen again. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Suleiman Alaji, George Bruce, Going Down Slow, Yafet Jones, and James Brown. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.